Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. Hey everybody, uh, I'm your instructor for uh, business law and just wanted to take a moment to go into a few things about chapter two to kind of help you get acclimated to the chapter and talk about some of the main content. Um, the recording software I'm using on the computer is only allows for 15 minutes of record time. So if you're listening to this on the podcast or the computer, I may have to take a brief pause uh, and start again, but just letting you know that in advance. Okay, so jumping right into it, chapter two is about disputes and dispute settlements. And the main things we're going to talk about are negotiations, uh, mediation, and arbitration. And you've probably heard these terms before. They're pretty common uh, in kind of the lingo. I'm almost certain you've heard of negotiation. You may have heard of mediation, kind of have an idea what that's about. You may or may not have heard of arbitration, but that's an interesting one, and we'll talk about that. It's a, a really hot-button issue in uh, today's environment we find ourselves in. So, so negotiations in general are basically this uh, exchange between two or more parties, trying to find a middle ground or a you're trying to reach a consensus that's the word we want to look for consensus and so they can be simple or they can be quite complicated depend depending on uh, what's at stake and so when a formal proceeding is started in the court system an ADR alternative dispute resolution or way of solving an issue with intent to avoid litigation may be employed litigation is involving the courts and I'm sure you know that anytime you go to court, you've got uh, additional costs associated with that. You've got uh, the legal fees associated with a lawyer or representation. You've got court costs. So that is a expensive endeavor. And so anytime you have a dispute, you want to try to work it out without having to go to court. And believe it or not, that is everybody's preference. Nobody really wants to go to court because of the time, the effort, the money involved. And so you think about it. You want to go to court and sit in there and uh, either either hear other cases or have to go through uh, the process of disrupting your life to go deal with a case. So it's just, if you can work it out any other way, that's the best way to do it. So uh, it's figure out some middle ground, some type of way to negotiate. So um, the... An article in the Organizational Behavior and Human Decision Processes defines negotiation as the process by which parties with non-identical preferences allocate resources through interpersonal activity and joint decision-making. So we have different outcomes we want to see, but we negotiate together to try to find some type of common ground. There's a couple different types of negotiation. Uh, if two small businesses owners find themselves in a disagreement over property lines, they will frequently engage in dyadic negotiation. Put simply, dyadic negotiation involves two individuals interacting with one another in an attempt to resolve a dispute. So if a third person comes to play, then you have a group negotiation. So you're trying to work together to find 
uh, an outcome that is acceptable for everybody. And so um, rational goals are focused on building, maintaining, or repairing a partnership, connection, or rapport with another party. Outcome goals, on the other hand, concentrate on achieving certain end results. What are we trying to accomplish? And it's good to define those early. You know, why are we here? What's the goal? You know, uh, that, that needs to be understood by all parties involved. And so um, you've probably heard of this idea of win-win. That you want to try to, you know, a good negotiation is where everybody gives up a little bit of something. And uh, everybody, you know, sacrifice a little bit in order to gain. Um, it's, you know, some people don't agree. Some people think it's either all or nothing. That's a zero-sum negotiation, and it's considered to be a hard negotiating style, meaning that either you're going to do this or uh, nothing's going to happen. You know, and it really depends on what's at stake and who's got the power in that situation. As an example, there's a good one going on right now uh, with Epic Games and Apple. You might have heard about this. Fortnite was removed from the App Store. I'm not a Fortnite player myself, but I know that millions of people do play Fortnite. And the dispute is over uh, the fees that Apple is charging Epic to hold that app on their platform. Epic thinks the fees are too much, 30%. Apple thinks that is fair because they do all the infrastructure and they're able to present their uh, product to the entire world. So uh, they, have a dis- they have had a disagreement. They've not been able to come to a consensus yet. Um, and at the moment... Apple has basically banned or removed Epic from the App Store, uh, got away with their um, developer accounts. So um, this is a zero-sum negotiation. And from Apple's perspective, they, they've done everything they said they would do in the original contract, uh, and Epic has violated that contract. They said, well, we wanted to try to offer in-app purchases that would not, Apple would not get a piece of that. And whether or not you agree or disagree with the 30% being uh, excessive, the fact of the matter is that Apple uh, had an agreement with Epic. Epic violated that agreement. And so now we're in this kind of zero-sum negotiation. You know, it's all or nothing. So we'll see how that plays out. Um. So win-win approaches to negotiations are sometimes referred to uh, interrogative, while win-lose approaches are called distributive. distributive. So you want to try to find that win-win within uh, negotiations. So negotiating style, uh, everybody has different approaches. I myself, I like to try to find the win-win. I like to try to make everybody feel uh, at ease with what's happening and Everybody walk away with a sense of fairness of what's transpires. Um, everyone has a different way of approaching negotiation, depending on the circumstances and the person's personality. However, the Thomas Kilman conflict model instrument, or the TKI, is a questionnaire that provides a systematic framework for categorizing five broad negotiation styles. And so these are the five styles, forcing, collaborating, compromising, avoiding, and yielding. Forcing, if a party has a has high concern for itself and low concern for the other party, it may adopt a competitive approach uh, that only takes into account the outcome it desires. 
We don't care what happens to our competitors or our uh, stakeholders as long as we get what we want. Uh, then we we don't care about other outcomes, and that's kind of a egocentric uh, thing to do from a company perspective. But keep in mind, you know, I was talking about this in class earlier today. Companies are a lot like. Uh, uh, there's a reason why Art of War is part of a business reading list because it is a very competitive landscape businesses find themselves in. And so having this egocentric model, uh, there is something to that, not my preference. If you could find a way to do it uh, that serves both parties, I think that's, that's a real good win because you have to keep in mind, your suppliers are also your customers. Your competitors are sometimes also your customers. And so uh, you want to be able to do things in a way that still leaves your reputation intact. You don't want to be known as the bully or somebody that's not willing to to work with people. Collaborating, working together to find outcomes. Compromising, trying to give up a little bit to find that middle ground. Avoiding, when a party has low concern for itself and the other party, it will often try to avoid negotiation completely. This is kind of an apathetic approach. And then yielding, finally, when a party has low self-concern for itself and high for the other party, it will yield to the demands that may not be in its own best interest. So I think when a company uh, has been kind of paying uh, its employees under what maybe market demand is, and employees are complaining, they may even unionize, uh, you know, you may yield and pay the employees more, even though it's against your own economic interest, but you realize that paying employees more leads to better retention. It leads to better performance uh, because you've got happier employees, hopefully. And uh, so yielding does have some positive outcomes for yourself. And the graphic that's located uh, on page 18 in Chapter 2 talks about these different uh, uh, elements, the concern for self versus the concern for others. And so if you have a low concern for self and a high concern for others, then you're falling into that yielding, uh, yielding category. But if you're the opposite, then you're in the feeling category. So um, I'm going to go ahead and start talking about arbitration a little bit. So negotiations are covered by a medley of federal and state laws, such as the Federal Arbitration Act and the Uniform Arbitration Act. Um, let me get down into talking about that. Well, before I get into arbitration, the next logical step is mediation. So we mentioned this a little bit in the beginning, mediation, this idea of uh, negotiating, but you involve a third party or a mediator. A mediation is a method of dispute resolution that relies on impartial third party decision makers known as mediators to settle a dispute. And so uh, the real big difference here between mediators and arbitrators are mediators are there just to help bring people together, whereas arbitrators are individuals that uh, make binding decisions. And so the benefits of mediation, it's confidential. Um, it's a creative out, a way to solve your issues. It does um, give you control when a case goes to trial. Both parties give up certain degrees of control. So if you go to the court, you're reliant on a bunch of other variables that are outside of your scope of influence and control, whereas within a mediation, you still are in the driver's seat at that point. And so um, 
the role of a mediator, just trying to bring people together. Um, these are kind of the steps we go through in mediation, opening statements, opening statements of the plaintiff and defendant, the defendant, a joint discussion, a private caucus to try to talk about things that have been said, a joint negotiation, and then closure. You're trying to reach a consensus, like I mentioned before. So there is some ethical considerations. Um, both disputants themselves and those who attempt to facilitate dispute resolutions, i.e. mediators and attorneys, must navigate a myriad of ethical issues, such as deciding whether they should tell the entire truth or only offer a partial disclosure. Yeah, in a mediation, you're not a sworn in, as for example, so uh, you have some ethical considerations there. This conflict has long rooted in history and has often been considered in terms of consequentialist and deontological ethical theories. Consequentialist, that's a tongue twister, ethics, sometimes known as situational ethics, is a way of looking at different situations by considering their implications. Someone who follows a consequentialist ethics uh, in mediation or arbitration would consider the impact of his or her decision on the parties in light of their unique circumstances. In contrast, deontological ethics is based uh, bases its decision on whether the action itself is right or wrong regardless of the consequences. So situational or, backing up, consequential ethics or consequentialist ethics look at uh, things, you know, base it on the situation, whereas deontological are put forth the ethical considerations first regardless of its impact in the current setting. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a quick break uh, for those watching the video, I'm going to make a second video. For those on the podcast, just uh, hang on. I'll be right back. So one moment. Okay, we left off talking about some ethical considerations. And one thing you'll find about ethics is that ethics are present in every situation you encounter. And a lot of the, the ethical considerations you make are kind of subconscious. They're uh, drilled into you throughout your life about you know right and wrong, a system of belief of how to be. And so we actually offer a class, Business Ethics, that you'll take if you're a business major. Really good, and we get into talking about some of that stuff. So, um, so just wanted to keep continue down the path of talking about ethics real quick. Um, it says, these types of ethical considerations have been addressed by philosophers such as Immanuel Kant, who spoke of the categorical imperative, which is defined as act only according to the maxim whereby you can, at the same time, will that it should become a universal law. Meaning that um, you want to do things that can be expressed uh, in universal terms and that uh, will be interpreted by other people the same way. And if you're doing it, if you're doing things that way, uh, you'll probably be safe in your actions. And so let's talk about um, e-mediation real quick. It's something the chapter brings up. Um, we're doing a lot of virtual things these days, including this lecture. Um, I've got a, a friend who does virtual counseling, and instead of 
Uh, she gives clients the option of face-to-face -face versus virtual, and a lot of them choose the virtual. In fact, um, earlier this year, I think in March maybe, uh, might have been April, um, I needed to uh, go to a um, visit a clinic. Um, it wasn't related to COVID, but um, I just needed to talk to a doctor about a potential illness. And so I called the clinic and asked what they were doing, and they were doing this virtual uh, clinics. I don't know if you've participated in one of these. It's really interesting, and I like it a lot better. Uh, now, I get it. You need to every once in a while, hopefully once a year or at least every other year, go to the doctor uh, and you know have your physical done where they check your blood levels and just make sure everything's doing like it's supposed to be doing. So I get the need for doing the actual lab work and, and doing that process. But for casual things like if you've got, you know, a cold or something or, uh, you know, just some other illness, um, I really liked the virtual because it saves you from having to go uh, to the clinic and uh, expose yourself to other people that have illnesses. So that was really nice. So anyway, I called the clinic about... Uh, I would say an hour and a half later, two hours maybe, the doctor called me uh, as a FaceTime call. And I got to have a probably a five to eight minute interaction one-on-one -on -one with the doctor, which um, was probably more time than I got when I went for my last in-person physical because uh, the doctor had an intern who was a new, a new resident, medical school resident, um, talk to me about, you know, the basically the questionnaire. And so um, didn't get a whole lot of FaceTime with the doctor, but with this, this virtual call, I did. So I thought that was really neat. Same thing applies to mediation. You get um, the same experience that you're going to have in a physical mediation, but you're going to do it virtually. And I think with the pandemic, it's really challenging the way we've done things uh, for a long time. I mean, my kids are going to school virtually right now. A lot of you are during, doing uh, at least partial virtual school. Uh, I could see a day uh, where, I mean, the trend has been more and more online focused uh, in the past couple decades. When I started my master's degree, I'm trying to think of the year, probably would have been 2006, 7, 8 range that I started it. Um, it was very taboo. It was a little less taboo than it was earlier than that, but it was still taboo to go to get a degree in an online environment. Um, nowadays, every institution of higher learning, if you're not offering online classes, especially in this environment, you're, you're out of business. You're closed. There's no, you can't operate uh, without offering online components. So what once was taboo and abnormal is now very much a norm. Uh, and so education at the end of the day, too, is what you put into it. The, the, what you put into it is what you'll get out of it. The inputs that you put in to uh, a process will greatly determine the outputs that you receive. And so uh, I'm going to let that go to voicemail. I'll call them back. Um, so e-mediation, we've talked about that briefly. Just uh, the same thing, but just a different uh, way of delivering that information. So... Arbitration. This is the, the, the last big to topic I wanted to talk about. Um, 
I normally would, if you, that's you calling me, normally I would pick that up, but I am doing the recording, so. Um, but arbitration, the American Bar Association defines arbitration as the private process where disputing parties agree that one or several individuals can make a decision about the dispute after receiving evidence and hearing arguments. Arbitration is overseen by a neutral arbiter or an individual who is responsible for making a decision on how to resolve a dispute and who has the ability to decide on an award or a course of action that the arbiter believes is fair given the situation. This is a key distinction for mediation and negotiation. Arbitration is a binding agreement. You're saying that if I go to an arbitration, whatever the arbiter decides is binding. That's that's the outcome. So it's very different from mediation in that you're basically relinquishing control of the outcome to a third party. This brings up um, this thing called the mandatory arbitration clause. A lot of you are already involved in mandatory arbitration clauses and you don't know it. So anytime that you sign up for an app or sign up for services like um, iCloud or Apple, uh, any type of Apple service, or I'm sure the same is true with Android services. Anytime you sign up to purchase a cell phone, um, any type of a contract that you go into these days, most of the time is going to have what's called a mandatory arbitration clause. The reason why they have mandatory arbitration clauses is because companies do not want to go to court. They don't want to go to court because when they get sued and they go to court, it puts it's a liability for them. They have to pay legal fees, very costly, time-consuming. Con, time and so they would rather have an arbiter that they pay making the decision. So think about this. It's supposed to be a neutral arbiter, but if the company that has made you sign, the, or well, it's, it's providing you goods and services, and, and, and for those goods and services, you signed a contract or agreed to a contract uh, whereby you say, I'm going to do, if there's any problems, we're going to have a mandatory arbitration. Basically, what you've done is given up your right to trial, to go to court. And a lot of times people don't think about that or even care about it until they need it. So, you know, when you sign up for a good or service, there's all these things that you're supposed to read that nobody does. It's a lot of legal jargon. And hidden in that legal jargon somewhere, there was this thing called a mandatory arbitration clause. You signed up for it. You agreed to it. You relinquished your rights to go to court to have a judge or jury or both uh, make these decisions. Uh, That's how, how the outcome's going to be. So imagine that you use a product for several years, and all of a sudden we find out this product causes cancer or causes some type of harm in some way. And then uh, you can't sue the company because you signed or agreed to a mandatory arbitration. So what happens? You say, okay, well, I agreed to it. I didn't know about it, but I agreed. So you go to arbitration. What ends up happening? The arbiter is paid for by the company. And so what do you, how do you think that's going to go? Do you think the arbitration company has a vested interest in deciding to, to decide things for or against you. Keep in mind that their pay, pay, payday comes from the company. 
and they don't get anything from you. So how can they be neutral? They can't be. They they are very much impartial. Uh, they can't very much uh, non-impartial, or they can't be impartial because of that uh, that that conflict of interest they have. They're paid to basically decide things. But I would I would surmise that if you went and really studied arbitration, and I have not done this, but I'm hypothesizing that if you went and studied arbitration results, you would find that in the majority of cases the arbiter sided with whatever company was paying for their services. And so that is interesting, you know. And so I get why arbitration is interesting, but keep in mind that uh, in our society today, these binding arbitration agreements, uh, and it mentions it right here on page 23 in Chapter 2, uh, are uh, very much kind of can be a problem uh, because if... There's a really good example of this in um, a documentary called Hot Coffee. I, I've shown this in class before. Um, you can look it up online. It probably is available for free through one of the streaming services. Hot Coffee is a documentary about uh, several cases. One of the cases was when an older lady had coffee that she got from McDonald's. It spilled on her, caused second and third degree burns. She sued, ended up getting awarded something like $2 million. Uh, but that is, that's an interesting case. Look at that case um, just to uh, learn about it if you haven't. But also look up the, uh, the I can't remember her name. Her name, first name is Jamie. She, she went to work for a company called Halliburton. And <clears throat> during her, uh, she, she, she was told when she signed up that uh, she would be sent abroad. She knew she was going abroad but she would have an all-female bunk, and she would be safe. And within 24 hours of her getting to where she went, she went to work on a, uh, an outpost in Iraq to facilitate um, things like infrastructure. That's what she was there to do. But within 24 hours, she was beaten and raped. And because of the mandatory arbitration, she could not seek, seek out damages from the company uh, because she had basically signed away her rights to take that company to court for basically putting her in an unsafe environment. And that is a really tough case to look at. I'm not going to tell you the outcome. I want you to go look it up. Hot Coffee is the documentary. Jamie is the name of the, uh, the plaintiff, somebody that has a, a, an issue. And, and the company was Halliburton she worked for. So there's a lot of different... Um, Use cases for arbitration, labor, um, grievances, business transactions, property dis disputes. Um, so typical civil disputes as opposed to criminal matters attempt to use arbitration as a meet means of dispute resolution. While definitions can vary between municipalities, state, and countries, a civil matter is generally one that is brought when a party has a grievance against another party and seeks monetary damages. In contrast, a criminal matter... A government pursues an individual or group for violating laws meant to establish the best interests of the public. And so well, there's some great reading on the ethics of arbitration. But in the interest of time, I want to just kind of end there. And it does get to the chapter summary after another couple pages. Well, this PowerPoint, or this presentation, I'm sorry, uh, whether it be the video or the uh, podcast, this was designed to kind of introduce you to chapter 2. Uh, kind of go through some of the 
the high points, I would like you to go in and do the reading. Uh, there's some um, there's some finer points that we did not cover just for time purposes, uh, but I do want you to go back, do the reading, familiarize yourself with these concepts. Don't forget to start your homework. Uh, chapter three homework is due this week. And if there's anything I can do to support you, any questions I can answer, uh, please let me know. Email is the best way to get me. But for now, I appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for spending some time with me on the podcast. I hope you got something out of it and learned something that you can use in the world and share with others. If you did like it, please indicate so by liking, sharing, or going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Until next time, I wish you well.